0: Dr R.J. Rushduni, RR161 CE151 By receipt and contrast from the Easy Chair excellent colloquies on various subjects
1: Durty Easy Chair number 261 March the 4 1992 This evening Douglas Murray, Otto Scott, and myself will discuss, first of all, piracy and contracts. The subjects uh, may seem unrelated, but we'll get around to relating them. Just a few general remarks before I... Have Douglas, who has some experience in this area, uh, tell us much more about it. Piracy in the modern era has been of two kinds. One, that which has been uh, a part of a government policy. As, for example, when Queen Elizabeth gave... uh, Letters to various sea captains, Sir Francis Drake and others, to wage an undeclared war on Spanish gold ships. She got a share of what was taken. This was legal. It was practiced by most governments. We outlawed it when we created the Constitution. Then there was the uh, free enterprise of piracy, of scoundrels, criminals, who uh, one way or another secured a ship, perhaps by stealing it in a port, and began to prey on the shipping of all countries. These were... Gangs of particularly desperate hoodlums. One uh, scholar, a professor, B.R. Berg, B-U-R-G, has attempted to rehabilitate them into a kind of uh, fraternity uh, in his book, Sodomy and the Pirate Tradition, English Sea Rovers in the 17th Century Caribbean. In other words, these men were, in a sense, outcasts of society because they were homosexuals and they became pirates and had uh, a fellowship together, a kind of fraternity. We're not talking about piracy of the past. Piracy today is having a major revival all over the world. It gets no publicity. And with the decline of the uh, British and the British Empire's loss, the Navy no longer is the guardian of the seas. And in almost every continent, there are serious losses because of offshore piracy. Douglas, would you like to Say more on the subject from your experiences.
2: Well, uh, quite a few years ago in 1978, I was invited to go along as a, uh, radio operator on a scientific expedition that was organized uh, from Europe by French and Swiss to go to Clipperton Island. Uh, now Clipperton Island was named for a freebooter, uh, or pirate of those days. And uh, it came to be rather prophetic, because uh, in the course of traveling down there, we left San Diego, it's about a five- or six-day run, uh, down to Clipperton Island. Uh, we were on the radio continuously, <laughs> announcing our position and our estimated time of arrival at Clipperton uh, on the amateur radio frequencies. And, uh, within a few hours after we got there, another boat pulled up on this deserted, uninhabited, totally uninhabited island. There were no other boats anywhere around the island. It's quite small. And, uh, I was down below working on some equipment and I got a call from the ca- captain of our boat to come up armed. And, uh, he knew I had brought, uh, a firearm with me. I got up on deck, and uh, there was a, uh, a rubber boat full of uh, men who looked like uh, they had just been picked off the back lot at some movie uh, production studio. One guy had a patch over his eye. There were others that uh, had parts of military American military uniforms. They were uh, they were armed with uh, automatic weapons. They were carrying knives and uh the Captain had everybody come up on the uh, the starboard side of the boat that we were on and display the weapons and They came over and asked uh uh who we were what we were doing on the island and uh uh how long we uh planned to be around and so forth and the captain uh gave evasive answers and eventually uh after seeing the weapons we had the first mate had a automatic uh machine gun and various other weapons, where they decided to uh, to take off. They went back to their sailboat and uh, we watched them sail away. In the meantime, the skipper told me that uh, these were one of many bands of pirates. This is the year 1978 now uh, that were roaming up and down the coast of Central and South America and uh, also in the South Seas looking for people on small yachts uh, primarily uh, pleasure boats, luxury yachts, who were taking their lifetime, uh, uh, living out their lifetime dream of taking a cruise to the South Seas on a small boat. And what they were doing was they were killing and stealing boats to order. Uh, some of these people were known to be persona non grata in some countries, but in others they were welcomed by the local of- officials both police officials as well as other government officials, because they would actually uh, put in an order for a particular pleasure craft. And these fellows would go out and uh, they would find one uh, by numerous methods. One of the favorite methods was they would have one of their number would go up to the Yacht Harbor, say in uh, uh, San Diego or uh, Huntington Beach, uh, Newport Beach and just hang around the docks and ask questions until I found someone who was getting ready to take off on one of these cruises with a brand new, fully outfitted boat, fully provisioned uh, first class uh, uh, boat and uh, they would uh, talk about all of the uh, possible things that could go wrong and uh, kind of scare the owners of the boat into taking him on as a uh, an extra hired hand to help them through these uh, difficult uh, situations. And uh, what would happen is that these uh, they would have a prearranged destination. This fellow would kill the people on the boat, say a man and a wife team, throw them over the side to the sharks, and then take the, the boat to the prearranged destination. And they would listen to the radio during this period of time. And if it was announced on the various frequencies that this boat was missing, then they would strip all of the electronics and as much of the valuable stuff off the boat as possible and then scuttle a boat and away they go. If there was no um, information uh, put out about that the boat was missing, then they would go ahead and deliver the boat to one of these uh, uh, government officials and uh, that's how they made their money. And this is an ongoing thing now these fellows look like they were uh, some of them were had just uh, come back from Vietnam I mean they were they look like uh, combat types and some of them uh, appeared to be uh, uh, like they'd been through a real alley cats they had scars and uh, uh, so forth some of them were had been pretty badly cut up how many were there Eight? How many of you? Eighteen. And um, so um, uh, it was not good odds for them to take us on. So uh, it's alive and well up and down the coast of uh, Central and South America, and all of the skippers that do uh, chartering uh, have to be aware of this. And the skippers of the tuna boats, and uh, all of these other fishing boats that are worth millions. Some of these boats uh, uh, that go down and catch tuna off the coast of mm-hmm. South America are worth millions of dollars, and they go heavily armed. Mm-hmm. Does our Navy have any role to play here? They Once you get below uh, uh, the uh, boundary between the United States and uh, Mexico, the Coast Guard will not go any further. And the navy doesn't bother to go uh, along the coastal waters. During our cruise down there, we didn't see any American uh, shipping at all, and then we were in the coastal shipping lanes. No planes. No planes. No American no. planes. Well, I thought they were uh, on the QVs for uh, drug smugglers. Well, I haven't cranked up in 1978. Now it's uh, there. There may be more interdiction efforts on the part of American military, but that didn't start until about five, six years ago. Well,
1: uh, according to Captain Roger Villar, an English sea captain in "Piracy Today: Robbery and Violence at Sea since 1980," written in 1984, in four years he listed all over the world 400 cases of piracy and said uh, he made no attempt to go after the very numerous small crafts that had been pirated and where, as he said, routinely everyone is killed and the women slaughtered. He gave accounts of how uh, where women are captured, one gang will pass a woman to the other until, unless they're rescued, uh, they can have sustained rape for as much as 17 hours, according to the figures he has in some cases. Only one country has attempted to deal with it, and they don't have anything of a navy, Singapore. Uh, and theirs is a diff- difficult area because the straits have so many hiding places where they can come out quickly. But, uh, piracy is big business. No, uh, Navy today is concerned. Captain Delar says <clears throat> the pirates are actually moving in many areas in the world right into harbors. And the harbor police will not respond to a radio call from a ship uh, to come to their aid because they're afraid of these pirates who very often working in harbors will have boats like the harbor police and uh, fake uniforms. And they come and board a ship and before the people know it, they have taken over the ship. So, it's a very critical factor in that uh, information about it is suppressed. And apart from Singapore, no one is tackling this issue. And Singapore, without a real navy, is having to do it with small boats. Well, the only,
2: uh, I suppose positive aspect of the uh, drug trade it has taken the pressure off of the uh, depredations on small boat owners because there's much more money to be made in smuggling drugs than there is going after small yachts so uh, from that standpoint uh, it may have taken some of the pressure off uh, particularly in the coastal waters
1: it's very heavy in Africa very severe, and in the far east, in the Caribbean, off the coast of California and Mexico, and uh, one of the things they are going for now are cargo ships, to take the ship and the cargo, and uh, they're totally uh, brazen and open about it. And when you consider the value of the cargo on a single freighter, this is big money. Especially uh, what makes it easy is that in many, many countries the uh, freighters are forbidden to carry weapons. Well, most of the freighters
0: used to carry weapons. Uh, As a matter of course, they were kept locked up, but they were available. China Seas has been infested with pirates for several thousand years. And uh, that's always been a dangerous area. The Florida Keys are a dangerous area without pirates. Uh, there was a case, I remember, when I was a boy, that a Chilean warship was mutinied and uh, floated around the Caribbean committing depredations for a period, and around 1930, I think, and the several navies had to go out and get it. The reason that the English navy uh, curtailed piracy was, of course, because the English possessions were so far flung that they had to keep the trade routes between these territories peaceful. Mm. And England from 1815 to 1914 maintained the freedom of the seas and the ability of other uh, countries to navigate. Our clipper ships would never have gotten to China in the first place if they hadn't had the protection of the English Navy. But the empire is gone and the Navy is greatly diminished uh, we told the French and the Portuguese and the Spanish and the Dutch and the Belgians that they didn't need a native navy anymore because we were going to protect them after World War II. We wiped them off the face of the globe, so to speak, as first-rate powers and turned them into second- and third-rate trading countries. We were going to protect everybody, Japan, uh, all possessions, Every country in the world is going to protect the whole world. And in fact, we made treaties with almost every country to that effect. On the other hand, we turned the 3,500-ship Navy into less than 600. We cut back and cut back. The largest Navy in the world, as far as I know, today is still the old uh, Soviet Navy. I don't know what's happened to it or how they're going to parcel it out. But uh we never did succeed in making the seas peaceful for other countries because we were too involved in reducing our navy.
1: Now, Russia has the navy. Russia uh, has They it. sailed them uh out before the Ukrainians could get control of them. Well, They it's the took largest. them up into the Baltic region.
0: It's not only the largest navy, but it's the largest merchant marine in the world. Mm-hmm. We have no merchant marine. We had to lease uh, cargo vessels and transport from both Europe and the Soviets at that time in order to get our men to the Gulf, and I'm sure that created a great scare in all of them. And that's one of the features of the Gulf uh, action, which Mr. Bush has never gave, made a speech about.
1: One of the things, quoting from Captain Villar, uh, despite taking various precautions, many have been surprised at the extreme agility of young barefoot pirates. One commercial company offers detachable barbed wire, which can be installed round the gunwale or just over the poop area when on passage, and likely to be attacked for mass. It is a simple yet clearly effective defense. The China Seas and the Philippines are once again uh, a vast network of uh, uh piracy.
0: It boomed right after World War II. I remember Sherman Lemoyne was the master that I knew who got a uh, ship to sail in the China area. I remember we were all very envious because he was going to be paid a thousand dollars in gold every month. (coughs) And uh, somebody gave him as a joke a sword to protect himself against the pirates. Hmm.
2: Well, any small boat that goes out today and... uh better have uh, good radio equipment in fact it's almost mandatory now that they uh, become amateur radio operators they check into a net that meets every so many hours and if they don't check in then somebody's looking for them and in many cases now they travel in a squadron several of them will go together yachts yes private yachts uh, for their mutual protection well these are
0: often uh Taken over by amateur seamen. Uh, I remember the San Diego Yacht Club used to have lunch there every week. It had 40,000 boats. It was quite a good number of boats for one yacht club to have. And some of them used to rot right at the pier, but they were only used for playing poker on weekends or having a girl or something. But, uh, in fact I met one young man who made a living pulling them up.
2: You know. <laughs>
0: But uh, there were several cases of some uh, very well-placed upper-middle-class people who disappeared on their yachts. And the yachts reappeared, uh, disguised, and so forth. Although the international registry, you know, is pretty good. But nevertheless, there's an awful lot of boats in the world. And unless they're, the insurance company or some heir makes a very... Determined effort, these things are easily disposed
2: of. Well, there was a celebrated case here a few years ago, out on, uh, I think it was Johnston Island, the southern tip of the Hawaiian chain, where there was a, uh, a murder of some people which involved piracy.
1: And, uh, so it's going on all over. Well, you see, we're talking, constantly about a one world order and yet the United Nations, the United States and all the countries of the world have lost all interest in protecting their own freighters their own citizenry when they're on the high seas or even in their harbors so that uh, The more they dream of a one world order, the more everything is crumbling around us. Well, that's because there's a a change
0: in the governmental attitude toward individuals. Uh, Individuals become ciphers or become numbers and uh, statistics and not individuals. And statistically speaking, the number of people involved are a very, very small minority. Who really cares about the rich? We're listening now to a presidential campaign rhetoric about the fact that the rich should solve all our economic problems by turning over their money. You know, let's, let's make it fair and take the money away from the rich guy. Uh So, in a government where we're viewed as statistics and not as people, uh, they're not going to make extra efforts to protect you.
1: No. No, the uh, protection is ill And Captain uh, Roger Villar calls attention throughout his little book, which is a, simply a chronicle, and a very sad chronicle, of uh, unconcern about the people who are being d- killed uh, raped, robbed, and uh, how many votes do they have? Not the bottom line what group do they represent? Yes, they're either uh shipping companies or yachtsmen.
2: Well, I figured that the shipping companies will be reimbursed by insurance and uh, a small number of individuals who are done away with, uh, don't matter in the great scheme of things. The great scheme of things is a good phrase.
1: Well, these, uh, contemporary pirates are a totally murderous lot.
0: They always were.
1: Th- they always were, but, uh, at one time, uh, any person of consequence was held for ransom.
0: Well, Julius Caesar, in a very famous instance, who finally, of course, after he was ransomed, went back and had every one of them crucified.
2: Yes. I've often thought, you know, when these uh, waves of concern about uh, MIAs from Vietnam, I often think back to looking at these fellows in that rubber boat, and I'll bet you that at least two or three of them were MIAs. And they don't want to ever be found. They don't want to go back to where whatever it was they left when they left the United States. And there's probably hundreds of groups just like them. Well,
0: that's a historic thing, too. Uh, former soldiers, veterans of the wars, who are totally unhinged from domestic and peaceful life, uh, they've been uh, figures just
2: as old as the pirates. Well, they are.
1: Well, the uh, results are becoming increasingly bad for trade figures. In other words, Southeast Asia has been a good market. But how good a market can it remain when freighters are regularly pirated?
0: Regularly pirated sounds a little extreme to me. Uh,
1: four hundred and four years? Freighters, All kinds of ships, but primarily larger boats is Traders. what he's considering.
0: Freighters are a pretty good-sized ship. When I sailed, uh freighter carried 38 crew and cargo uh, of many millions. Uh, now, of course, the figures are tripled, but quadrupled, whatever.
1: Um, I don't know where you could hide a freighter. No. What they do with the freighters is they pull alongside, especially in ports, in what appears to be a police boat, and board. And then suddenly, weapons are produced. Other, other ships, over, yes. uh, other ships pull up and swarm yes. over them. They kill the captain and others. They unload the ship as much of the cargo and they seem to know what is on board and what they want. And they're gone in an hour or two, and maybe about four or five hours later the harbor police will show up to make a formal report which is nothing.
0: Well I think I'd put in a call to the uh, Maritime Union and find out how many freighters have been so treated. Because uh, 400 sounds too ex- wildly to fight too many. If you well, kill 38 men on a vessel and then take half the cargo, I can't see how even our press could not find out about it. Mm-hmm. They don't kill them all. Yeah, really. One or
1: two enough to frighten the rest. And then they go after the cargo and Captain Roger Villar, concerned about this, has documented it and he says he's only scratched the surface. Where
0: is it? Where are these things? Where do they occur on the freighters? Do you remember the, uh, is it in African
1: ports or where? It will be in Asiatic and African ports. In, uh, American waters, it'll be yachts primarily. Yeah.
2: The smart crew members are gonna go over the side. You know, they're not getting paid to go up against people with automatic weapons. Tell me about
1: it. <laughs> Tell me, I'm very interested. Well, it's all an indication of the fact that our present world order is collapsing, that there is less and less concern about lawlessness and more and more concern about Political issues, the power of the state, and I think this is a very, very grim fact because we are in the midst of an election, and we're hearing all kinds of high-sounding promises. And uh, yet, these are the people, whether they are in this country or elsewhere, who are unconcerned what happens to the people. Their basic concern is power. I'd like to read uh, some sentences from Captain Roger Belair's book, Piracy Today. I quote, The concept of piracy as an international crime is an ancient one. As long ago as 1668, Sir Leoline Jenkins declared that all pirates and sea rovers are outlawed by the law of all nations. That is, out of the protection of princes and of laws whatsoever. For centuries, the pirate has been regarded as a common enemy. Precise legal definitions of piracy today are enshrined in the Geneva Convention On the High Seas of 1958, which declares it to be any illegal acts of violence, detention, or any act of depredation committed for private ends by the crew or passengers of a private ship or private aircraft and directed A. On the High Seas against another ship or aircraft or against persons, or property on board such ships or aircraft be against the ship, aircraft, persons, or property in a place outside the jurisdiction of any state. One essential feature of this definition is that piracy is something committed for private ends. Terrorism in support of political objections is not therefore piracy. Nor can piracy be committed by a warship or a government ship or aircraft, even if the act is unauthorized. The draft convention prepared by the Third United Nations Conference on the Law of the Sea in 1982 also states in Article 101 that, on the high seas or in any other place outside the jurisdiction of any state, Every state may seize a pirate ship or aircraft or a ship taken by piracy and under the control of pirates and arrest the persons and seize the property on board. The courts of the state which carried out the seizure may decide upon the penalties to be imposed. The punishment of pirates is therefore left to the discretion of individual states Any nation may arrest a parrot and try him according to its own laws. And what he goes on to say is that because it is left to the discretion of every nation, each nation can define what it considers to be its proper jurisdiction There is no definition given of high seas, so that all of them can shirk the responsibility and say that, of course, they're against piracy, but they do not feel that that was within their proper jurisdiction.
0: Of course, that goes against the old tradition that every vessel is a piece of a nation. Of course. And if you have a vessel that's flying an American flag that becomes victimized or attacked by pirates, it'd be the duty of the American Navy to do something about it.
2: Yes. A recent uh, classic case would be the Achille Loro, uh the ship that was mm-hmm. uh, seized in the Mediterranean. They shot the fellow in the wheelchair and threw him over the side, and then the Italian government let the guys go. Because it wasn't
0: in Italian waters, Mm -hmm. or it was an Italian ship, though, wasn't it? I believe so. Yes.
2: Yeah, Italian skipper.
0: Well, that was a shirking of their duty.
1: Well, this is his point, precisely, and this is what leads to the second half of our subject, contracts. Contracts. Because here is a contract made by all the nations of the world and kept by none of them, except to a certain degree, Singapore. And we have... Singapore's trade is
0: most directly affected.
1: Yes. We have a world situation today, whether it is a ship at sea or a contract affecting Mm -hmm. oil. No country feels that uh, the contract is valid. They don't want to be bothered by it. You wrote for the journal a few years ago on OPEC and the significance of the destruction of the idea of the sanctity of contracts. I think you ought to go into it, Otto.
0: Well, I'll go to the period prior to that. It was the United States government and the OPEC situation, the international oil situation, which decided as a matter of state policy that the oil-producing countries, or the countries in which oil is produced, could change contracts with American firms at will, unilaterally. So, of course, that began the escalation of oil prices, which resulted in the embargo and all kinds of things. But even before that, there were two events which stand out in my mind. The first was the decision of the United States Supreme Court over the gold clause in American contracts. You remember, and mm-hmm. I do too. Uh, well, I used to get uh, gold coins for my birthday and so forth yes. and so on. It was, a, it was a normal gift. I never saw them again, but uh, <laughs> they were always shown to me. Uh, contracts in the United States used to be drawn up uh, to be payable in gold. Yes. And when Mr. Roosevelt made the possession of individuals of gold illegal, Mm-hmm. This affected all the contracts, and one party, one businessman, took his contract all the way up to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court ruled that the gold con- clause in the contract was no longer a matter of issue because of the Legal Tender Act, which had been enacted somewhere between 1869 and 1871, giving the American government the power to, in effect, issue paper money. Mm-hmm. Now, that was the first big uh, denial of the right of a contract that I can think of, and it was done by the Supreme Court. The next one came as a result of the Nye hearings. Remember those hearings about wartime propaganda, oh, yes. World War One,
1: Senator Nye.
0: Senator Nye, early in the New Deal, mm-hmm. and he had J.P. Morgan Jr. and all kinds of other people in front of him, and he was very indignant about the fact that they presumably made too much money in World War One.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we went into World War Two with the, uh, the governmental idea that you could limit wartime profits to a certain amount. I think it was 10% over cost. Then after the war was over, after everyone had really worked, I mean, some men worked themselves to death during the war, there was as much heroism in the home front as there was uh, in other places. Mm-hmm. After the war, a bunch of young accountants poured into all these uh, companies to renegotiate the contract. And what they did is that they pulled out all the records. And their argument was that they may have made their cost deliberately higher in order to make the ten percent higher. So they examined all the books and they examined all the costs and they cut back and told these businessmen, business companies, to give back to the company so much, to the United States government so much money. Now this was a violation of every contract that's ever been drawn and it was a violation of the contract between the citizens of the United States and the government of the United States.
1: And some of those companies went under.
0: Some of them went under because they no longer had the money. They paid the money. You had expenses to switch into peacetime production. You had this. Also, don't forget, Mr. Roosevelt had passed a law limiting the amount of percentage of money that a company could keep to plow back. Mm -hmm. They limited dividends and they limited uh plowbacks. So they were caught in a vice. Now, this was the greatest Welshing. I hate to use the word, and I hope there's nobody listening who's of Welsh descent. Uh, I'll, I'll take it back and, and try to think of another term. It was an awful double cross, and it paved the way for the violation of international contracts by the United States government. Now, England, with all its faults, and certainly uh I know they were deep and many, nevertheless had two firm positions. One, a contract was sacred because the entire capitalist system was based on the right of individuals to draw up a contract mutually agreeable that could then have the force of law. Mm-hmm. And a contract between an English company and a sovereign power, the Pasha of Tangiers, let us say, uh, if the, if the Pasha changed that, they would send in a gunboat and he would regret today. But we said he has a right to do it if he wants to. So we set in motion the destruction of contracts, sanctity of contracts throughout the world.
1: Yes. And it's reached down into the smallest community now because every court feels it has the right to rewrite a contract. To set it aside. Yes. Like marriage
2: contracts.
1: Yes. Well,
0: it's even worse. if uh I made I've made deals with corporations to write their history and uh we agree on terms and then the matter's turned over to the lawyers. The lawyers come up with a Seventeen hundred pages from a dictionary, a legal dictionary, which neither me or anyone else in the company can read outside the legal department. So I'm like any other small businessman, I'm in the position of trying to fulfill the terms of a contract I don't understand.
2: Have you ever read an environmental impact statement? No, I haven't. You want a real joyride? I've tried to read them, and they're just uh, incomprehensible, except to the people who draw them up. So the lawyers, then, are the only ones who understand
0: what's in a contract? Yes. They can make anything out of it they want to. It's a big lump of clay. But then we've moved beyond contracts. Contract law is no longer the governing law in our judicial system. We've moved into torts. Now, a tort, just a few years ago, never appeared. It is a violation of a constitutional right by one individual over another. Now, that gets you into an area which is all smoke. And there is no limit to the amount of damages that can be claimed under a tort. So the contract is set aside, and now we have torts.
1: Well, what has happened, for example, in the Christian school movement is that uh, no school with any common sense will give a teacher a contract. You will work on a month by month basis. No contract. No contract because anything written no matter how you word it if it goes to court labor Meaning a Christian school teacher will prevail against capital, the Christian school. So that uh, anything written is dangerous because you're going to be a loser. Well, the argument seems to be,
0: correct me if I'm wrong, that the individual is not capable of understanding a contract and has to be protected by the court yes. against the terms of the contract that they voluntarily sign.
1: Yes, even when it's in very simple English that, uh, well, one school two years back uh, had every teacher sign a, a statement that uh, they agreed that if they became pregnant and uh, had a child, it was against their policy to have A working mother. Uh, The small child should be cared for at home. And they felt very strongly, religiously, about that. And this woman signed uh, uh, such a statement. And then sued. After she had a child. After she had a child. And and was dismissed. And uh, she was not rehired, so... uh, she went to court about it, and the court felt it had a perfect right to adjudicate the matter. Set aside the rules of the school. Yes. Because the courts feel that uh, to intervene in almost any new area is an opportunity to exercise state sovereignty. Well,
0: this is an extension of the contempt for the individual. Yes. That only the system can decide these issues. That they are too important for the individual to decide.
1: Contracts from being something... Religiously... Uh, regarded... Have now become a form of piracy.
0: Well... Especially religiously because the court does not recognize...
1: Yes.
2: Religious rules. Mm-hmm. You want to hear something bizarre... I was looking up uh, the uh, meaning of contract in in Webster's second edition. The the uh, root uh, meaning that was uh, that Blackstone gave in the law was an agreement upon sufficient consideration to do or not to do a particular thing, and everybody drew their their uh, meaning from that. But in Webster's ninth New Collegiate one of the things included is an order or arrangement for a hired assassin to kill someone. That's an example? That's an example. Now, we used to call that conspiracy
0: to commit a crime. Well, it, it is. But they're now calling that a contract. Now legally, it's a, it, it is a conspiracy to commit a crime. A contract, it has to be... In a contract, it used to be. You could not... Make a contract to enter into a slave relationship with somebody else, mm-hmm. uh, pay an inch, In other words, even if the individual signed such a contract, it was in violation of the Constitution because it was in violation of his constitutional rights. So there were limits to the to the uh, to the whole idea of the contract. There had to be uh, some benefit to both parties. Otherwise, people could be forced into uh, on just contracts. But the... Uh, you, could, uh, you could... If I wanted to sell you my house for a dollar... That would be a valid contract.
1: Well... I don't see any possibility... Of a return to the validity of contracts... Until we have a return... To a biblical perspective. Because... As you said earlier... A contract was once regarded as a sacred obligation. that's gone now. It used to be that uh, a man's word was his bond. That was a common saying when we were boys. Well, that's true, and it still is in Wall Street. It was. No, it still is. In the crash of 87, Wall Street lost millions to investors who did not keep their word. Well, that's never to
0: say that men didn't break their word in Wall Street. Yes. But what that, I am saying is that any man who breaks his word in Wall Street will never do business in Wall Street True. Again. But this was
1: unprecedented Well, the to number the of people who
0: broke their word were unprecedented. Yes. yes. But Wall Street can only function. Of course. During the... Uh, during the oil crisis, my friends in the oil industry uh, deal with, literally, hundreds of millions of dollars in oil contracts every month over the phone, and this is a very fluid situation, so you may make an agreement to buy a million dollars' worth of crude at 2 o'clock in the afternoon at $10 a barrel. And 10 minutes later, the price may go up or down. Yes. Makes no difference. You are still committed to $10. That's right. And there's no record of the $10 except your word and the word of the man that sold it to you. This gave the government of the United States a great deal of trouble because under Carter, they passed a number of regulations governing trades, Now they've called all the oil companies in, and now we're talking about a span of eight or nine years, or even longer. I believe this was, let's say, 72 or 73, and this is uh, 92, so we're talking about nine or ten years. They're still trying to find the paper trail of all the transactions that were done during that period, and there is no paper trail because it was done over the phone. And the bureaucrats in Washington cannot adjust to the idea that this amount of money can be handled over the phone on a man's word. I
2: think there's something surreptitious and they illegal it. They feel
0: that. that they are on the trail of a giant conspiracy
1: mm-hmm. to
0: cheat the government out of taxes.
1: Well, it used to be that most business was conducted on a man's word. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you took a loss, but you kept your word. You had to. If you were going yes. to do business with
0: these people again. That's right. Or with anyone else in that area. Uh,
1: a recent example of that in the 70s was when, uh, silver, uh, hit $50. And because the Hunt brothers were uh, profiting heavily on silver, uh, the federal government, through COMEX, got into the market to kill it. And there was a crash. Well, at that last moment, people had been taking a, a beautiful silver antiques, uh every kind of silver in all its forms and selling them to be melted down. And the dealers were buying it in vast quantities. And they kept their word when the price... Even though the price went down. Yes. You know, it collapsed. Yes, they have to. Yes. It was a disaster for them financially, but they kept their word. Yeah. Now, that is the kind of thing that has prevailed it was a verbal contract it was honored but what we are seeing presently and it begins in the school there's no sense of honor there honor is a word that is alien to the public school culture and its teaching so what is developing is the gang mentality in the schools to an appalling degree and a contempt for this kind of thing, integrity, honor, contract? Well, the
0: it's still the commodity market is another area where huge trades are made on a gesture like an auction. The government, and its latest regulations, is going to enter the commodity market with regulations. And the commodity brokers uh, say that this is going to destroy the commodity market. It's going to destroy the commodity exchange because the exchange can't function on a paper basis. It's too fluid. Uh, the collapse of contract law or the collapse of contracts between individuals really come, came from the top. It came from the top, the top layers. And if the professors in the universities had managed to transmit this information down to the, to the schools, well then, this condition of the schools is a result of that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But it began with our Congress and our courts. Yes. And our president
1: mm-hmm.
0: and our state department. It began with our government, which is so anxious to control the economy, that it doesn't want the people to make their own arrangements.
1: Yes. Well, do you recall early in the 80s they moved into Chicago and seized the records of one commodity trader after another. Vast uh, tonnage of paper. Right. And they've been working at it all this time and they've never come up with one case where they can go to court and say this man was dishonest? Well, they have... Uh, they're doing some very strange
0: things. On the savings and loan crisis, when it occurred, there are a number of savings and loans institutions that were very solid. They also had a number of junk bonds, which are simply bonds that have a higher yield than the average and are a little more speculative than the average. But there's... There's no law against buying a speculative bond. If you decide that there's a good chance that it'll pay out, why, you go right ahead and bet it. They came in with new regulations during the crisis, and they forced very solid savings and loans institutions to dump all their junk bonds on the market at once, which collapsed the value of the junk bonds and which created an enormous crisis out of what was a relatively minor crisis. Then they turned around to punish the people who were involved in the junk bond business. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an interesting contrast between the treatment of Keating, for instance, who is now totally bankrupt, who has to ask for a public defender to defend him against various lawsuits, and the treating of Ivan Bosky and the treatment of Milliken, both of whom are emerging enormously rich where this other fellow is absolutely stripped to the bone and is going to go to prison, apparently, for life. Mm -hmm. So, you not only have the expansion of governmental controls, but you have the expansion of political favoritism
1: in the application of regulations. And Keating's problem was that he was pro-life.
0: And anti-faggot.
1: Yes, anti-homosexual. So they sent down, what was it, 13 bank examiners... 12 of whom were faggots.
0: That's what one of his
2: attorneys told me,
1: and mm-hmm. I believe him. Yes. Well,
2: I, in my mind, the ultimate breaking of a contract was read my lips. It <laughs> was the most spectacular yeah. instance. I think
0: I have never seen a man commit an act of dishonor on such a wide stage before in all my life. I, I wonder that he has the nerve to run, because what promise can he make that will carry any credibility
1: with anyone, and that, as uh, one commentator has observed, is the critical issue in this campaign that no one will face up to. He weakly credibility. credibility. He Buchanan
0: is the first one to raise it. Yes. None, none, of, none of the rest are going to raise it. Not even the Democrats, because they were complicit in the uh, exactly
2: in the false. And they all have
1: questionable
2: records. He, he weakly defends himself uh, on the basis of it being a, uh, a political compromise, but that's not the way people see it. No, he says they made me do it. Yeah, <laughs> but they're not, they won't do it again.
1: <laughs>
2: right? you believe that? We got some swamp
1: land in Florida. <laughs> Indeed. Well, we have just a couple of minutes left. Is there anything you'd like to say by way of conclusion well for
2: I think there's a great deal of frustration in people generally. The contracts are not kept nowadays. I think the the frustration is with the government it's with government agencies um the Constitution, which is supposed to be a contract between our government and the people, is now routinely broken and run roughshod over. Our politicians lie to us and break verbal contracts. Uh, I think people in general are pretty disgusted with it. Well,
0: after all, it's now accepted that uh, unions can break their contracts and go out on wildcat strikes anytime they want to mm-hmm. and hold up the milk for babies.
1: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Well, thank you all for listening, and God bless you. Remember that we're not going to overcome these problems without a return to the faith. The problem is a lack of character, and uh, we are in a world where the pirates are not only on the high seas, but they are all around us, and. The solution has to be a return to a truly biblical, to a truly Christian faith. Thank you all, and God bless you.
0: Authorized by the Calcedon Foundation. Archived by the Mount Olive Tape Library.
1: Digitized by ChristRules. Com.